Well, good morning. If you are newer to Northbrook, my name is John, and I'm one of the pastors here at Northbrook. So excited to be with you this weekend. Uh, something that uh, you might find interesting about me that you don't didn't know if, if you're newer to Northbrook is I like to run. I'm a runner, run some marathons, and uh, someone recently sent me a meme, and it said, would anybody run a marathon if they couldn't talk about it? I was like, that's actually pretty true. That's fair. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I love to run. And so uh, a couple weeks ago, we were on vacation in uh, Chicago and staying about a mile from Navy Pier. And I've never, I've never been to that area of Chicago. And uh, so one morning, I woke up. And uh, the first morning, actually, we were there, put on my running shoes, and I went for a run. It's about a mile to the Navy Pier area. And the sun was just coming up, and it was this beautiful, beautiful day. And uh, I was actually kind of overwhelmed by how beautiful it was. And uh, normally when I'm on a run, I don't take pictures because that slows down your time. Uh, but I decided to make an exception, and so I took a couple pictures. These don't really do it justice, but we have a few uh, pictures that I took that morning. So there's the sun coming up, and there's the, the skyline, and uh, there's an, one more picture I took. And... It, I was honestly, again, I was overwhelmed at the beauty of God's creation combined with human ingenuity, and um, it was this really special moment for me. I really felt connected with God and um, thankful for the life I have. But as I was reflecting on it, you know, if you've ever walked or, or run that route, there are hundreds and hundreds of runners that are running that route too. And for most of them, it was just another Thursday morning. About four years ago, I took my family to Denver, Colorado. I grew up in Colorado, uh, thus the allegiance to the Denver Broncos. Monday night football is eight days away, but who's counting? Uh, but anyway, uh, took them back to Denver, Colorado. They had never been to Colorado. My wife, my kids, I had moved to Wisconsin right after high school, and so my wife, my kids, never been to Colorado. So we went on a family vacation. I was able to take them to all of my favorite spots in Denver, of course, we took a tour of the Broncos Stadium while we were there. And, uh, of course, we had to go into the Rocky Mountains, right? I mean, you're in Denver, and so we did some hiking in the Rocky Mountains. And uh, just so beautiful. In fact, I took a picture one morning on one of my runs, again, of, uh, of just the beauty that is the skyline in that area. And I was thinking about how awesome it would be if I could run around the Rocky Mountains every day, right? Like, how amazing would that be? But then, the more I thought about it, I was like, you know what? I grew up in Denver. And at some point, at least for me, maybe not everyone, but at least at some point, the Rocky Mountains just start to become ordinary. You get used to them. And I tell you those two stories because I want to start with this observation, or, or really this quote. Familiarity leads to contempt. Anyone ever heard that before? Familiarity leads to contempt. What does that mean? It means extensive knowledge of or close association with someone or something leads to a loss of respect for them or it. You know, it's human nature that the more that you are familiar with something, the more likely the extraordinary becomes ordinary the more likely the magnificent becomes mundane. And I say all that because today uh, we're in between series. Uh, Pastor Mike gave me the green light to preach on whatever I wanted. 
And uh, as I was praying about it, I was thinking about it, I kept coming back to something that I've really been um, meditating on, thinking about. I feel like God's shown me some things, but I'm, but I was nervous to actually give a message on this thing. And here's why, because for many of us, what we're going to talk about today has become quite ordinary. We're very familiar with it. We grew up with it. And what I'm talking about is the Lord's prayer. In fact, for many of us at the end of communion, as we stood to say the Lord's Prayer, it was like, all right, here we go again. I know this one. Many of us grew up in church, saying the Lord's Prayer every week. Some of us maybe every day in school. And so for many of us, the Lord's Prayer has ceased to be extraordinary. And it's become this ordinary thing that we just repeat out of habit. And so here's my challenge for us in the next few minutes that we have together, uh, whether you come in here and the Lord's Prayer is is new and and you haven't heard it very often, or if you're quite familiar with the Lord's Prayer, here's the challenge regardless. Can we pretend like we're seeing and hearing the Lord's Prayer for the first time this morning? Can we open ourselves up to the depth and the beauty of the Lord's Prayer and ask God to reveal something new and fresh that will help us grow in our understanding of Him and our understanding of how we are to live in this world? Now, for our purposes today, I've purposely chosen the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 and in a a different translation than most of us are are used to uh, repeating. And I'm doing that on purpose so that I can can try to help us see the Lord's Prayer in a fresh way. So that's the challenge today. Does that sound good? You with me? Ten of you are with me. That's great. Everyone else is with me. I'll just just assume. Matthew 6, starting in verse 9. Matthew writes, this then is how you should pray. Speaking of Jesus talking here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's break down that prayer. Jesus starts off and he says, our Father... Now, the, the Hebrew word that Jesus is using here is Abba. Abba. It is, it is the, the best, the closest translation that we would have for it today is probably the word daddy. Uh, Jesus starts this prayer talking about God as father. Now, for many of us, that is not a surprise. Right? In, in church, we've all grown up. We've heard God referred to as father, referenced as father. In fact, many of us are familiar with the the Chris Tomlin song that went around churches for a while. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. You're welcome. It's my gift to you this morning. So, so that's not a surprise, but here's what's, what's, here's where we need to start. In Jesus' day, that word was not used for God. Religious leaders did not use that intimate word for God. Even the Jewish people, they had an understanding that, yeah, God was their father, but, but, but more than that, he was this, this strict, distant entity. And Jesus comes along, and not just on this occasion, more than one occasion, he uses the word Abba, Father, as a sign of intimacy with God. It's like uh, in our house, we have three kids, and our youngest is seven, and for the past couple years, we've had this routine Every morning, uh, I wake up before everyone else in the house. I'm a morning person. And before I go for my run, I grab my coffee, and I go sit on our couch in the living room, and I have some devotionals, and I have my journal. 
and it's my time with God, right? There's no disturbance. It's just me and God, and I love it. But I also know that at some point during my time with God, I'm going to hear the pitter-patter of little feet. And our now seven-year-old is going to come running out. She's also a morning person. My wife says, I'm not a morning person, so you have only yourself to blame the fact that she's a morning person. So she comes running out at some point. She's the first up besides me. And she comes flying into the living room with a stack of books, and she just plops down right next to me and then promptly steals the blanket. And there's no, like, hesitancy, right? She's not like, she doesn't, like, approach me like, can I sit by you? I don't know, right? Like, for her, I'm dad, and I'm always available, right? Like, if I'm there, she can sit next to me. It's not a question. There's a level of trust. That would be very different if she were to run to the living room and there'd be a stranger sitting on our couch. Very different response, right? But she sees me, and she knows I'm dad, and she trusts me, and she comes flying, and she wants to sit right next to me. When Jesus uses the word Abba, he's talking about that sort of intimacy. He's that sort of connection that God is our, is our father. There's closeness. There's connection that God enjoys it when we come running to him. Now, here is, here's the rub. For some of us, that word father doesn't bring the warm fuzzies. Because of our home of origin, because of our experience, when we hear Abba, Father, Daddy, like that, that doesn't make us feel like safe and secure and warm. And so for some of us, we're going to have to work extra hard to, to get to the point where we see God as this warm figure. Perhaps we need to use a different word entirely. For some of us, maybe it was a mother or a grandmother or a grandfather or an aunt or an uncle that was that secure, safe place. For maybe some of us that raised ourselves, like we can't think of any person in our life that, that makes us feel that way, but maybe we have kids. And Jesus also uses the analogy that we can picture how God loves us reflected in how we love our children. He says, if you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father love you? In essence, Jesus says, think about how much you love your children. Now imagine that your heavenly father loves you even more. But regardless of how you get there, Don't miss the beauty of this opening line in Jesus' prayer. Jesus starts off by saying, our God is not some distant figure. He is close. He is loving. There is connection that he desires with us. There's a personal, deep, intimate connection that is available to us. That's the type of God that we serve. Jesus Jesus could have started his prayer a, a more traditional way in, re, in religious circles in Jesus' day would have been to start off the prayer, Almighty heavenly being who's beyond our comprehension and holy and devout. And then he could have continued on. But he begins his prayer with this personal word, Abba, our daddy. For some of us, there's an opportunity this week to meditate on the fact that our Heavenly Father desires a close personal relationship with us, that he is safe, that he is good, that he is kind, and that he wants us to come sit right next to him on the couch each morning. Continuing on, Jesus says, in heaven. Now, both, most biblical, biblical scholars would say that the best translation of what Jesus is, is attempting to say here is one who fills the heavens. What Jesus is saying here is not our father who sits on a cloud on a chair with a nice beard and a smile and occasionally he pops down to visit us. No, what Jesus is saying here is our father 
who's with us, wants to be connected to us, but also, on the flip side, fills the heavens. There is intimacy and connection, but there is also a mystery that the God that we serve, the God that created us, is bigger than our minds can comprehend. In Jesus' day, when Jesus says, our Father who fills the heavens, all that his disciples could do was just look up at the sky and go, yeah, seems like a pretty big God. That's pretty big. But now through technology, we have a little bit of a, a better understanding of how big our God is. Anyone else fascinated with our universe? It's so fascinating, right? Like, even if, even if you know, you don't find the, you know, the study of the stars or, you know, planets, uh, you have to admit that there's something that eventually our minds just can't even comprehend when we start investigating our universe. We measure the, uh, the, the grandeur of our universe, the... the uh, how large our universe is by a measurement called the speed of light, right? Like, the speed of light is how we measure. And light is pretty fast. Like, I don't know if you've noticed, but, um, in fact, let's just do a little experiment. Let, I, just, I want you to see if you can watch light traveling. So we're, we're going to turn off the lights. Don't be scared. Electricity didn't go out this time. <laughs> and then we're going to put them back on. And just, uh, did you notice light traveling? Probably not. Now, if we slowed it down, you'd be able to see light traveling, but light travels so fast. In fact, if we, were, if we were able to have light travel around the equator, it would travel seven and a half times every second. Seven and a half times every second. That's the speed of light. Now, that's pretty fast. Now, when we get to our galaxy, and our galaxy is the Milky Way. Yes, kids are back in school. We got to, you know, we got to... We're back to facts. We got the Milky Way galaxy. We are, we are somewhere in that circle, really, really tiny. When you get to the Milky Way galaxy, here's what's crazy. If you were to travel across the Milky Way galaxy at the speed of light, how long would it take you? Not a day, not a month, not a year, not a lifetime. It would take you 200,000 years traveling at the speed of light to get across our galaxy. Now here's where my mind just stops comprehending this and maybe some of you will still be able to track with me, but, but here's what's crazy. Our galaxy is one of an estimated two trillion galaxies in our universe. Now lose anybody else? Like your mind was like, yeah, I'm done. And our God created that, and he covers every inch of it. There's not a shooting star, a black hole, a planet that he is not completely a part of. And so when Jesus says, our Father, our Abba, this, there's this deep connection, there's this closeness, who, who fills the heavens, what he's saying is we serve a God who is both intimately connected to us and more vast than our minds can comprehend. We serve a God that became one of us, lived on our little tiny planet in the middle of this huge universe that he created and died on a cross for us. He's that close, he's that connected, and yet he inhabits his entire creation. 
Now, what's the application here? I'm actually going to roll the application into the next thing Jesus says because there's actually a theme that he continues into the next thing he says. Jesus continues, hallowed be your name. Now, hallowed, not a word we use a lot. What does hallowed mean? Hallowed has the idea, there's not a great word in the English language for it, but it has the idea of reverence, holy, honored, revered, special. All those words really don't do it justice. But the idea here is God's name is to be honored. It's to be said reverently. Now, here's my question. Why does Jesus say that? Why does he say, hallowed is your name, right? Is God like, you know what? I created you. You people need to honor me. No. No, Jesus says that not for God's benefit. He says that for our benefit. Because having the proper view of God is absolutely foundational to living life well. In fact, many, many different scholars have said in many different ways, many different theologians have said over the, over the course of the past 2,000 years that the most important thing about you is the way that you view God. Because the way that you view God affects how you live your life. And so when Jesus says, hallowed be your name, what he is essentially saying is, let's remember who God is. He is our, he's our intimate father. He, there's connection. But he is also beyond our understanding. And he's not your personal butler. He's not your genie. He's not a math equation. All right, God, let's see here. I've gone to church every week and I've said a couple prayers. I was really good this week, so I need this result. Like when Jesus says, hallowed be your name, he's reminding us that we can't put God in our nice little box. We can't control God. The God that created the heavens and the earth, the God that exists in every inch of our universe... You're not going to control him. You're not going to figure him out. You're not going to math equation him. So when Jesus says, hallowed, holy, revered is your name, what he's doing is he's reminding us God is our father. There's connection. But there's also a bit of mystery. When we approach God, we can approach God with confidence, knowing he cares about us, he loves us, there's connection. But we also have to recognize that we are never going to have God figured out. There's a bit of mystery. And we don't like mystery. Not as Americans in 2022, right? We want answers. We want to figure everything out. And when we come to God, there's mystery. It's like in Job, the book of Job. This man who is righteous in God's eyes, right? And he has all all these things. He has a great life, great family, wealth. And the devil comes to God in the story. And he says, if I take all that away from Job, Job is going to curse you. We're going to see Job's true colors. And God essentially says, okay. Let's see what happens. And so the devil takes everything away from Job. Takes away his, you know, all of his children die. His business is gone. His money's gone. Even his health eventually is gone. And his wife looks at him and says, why don't you curse God and die? Thanks. And Job doesn't curse God. But as you read through Job, Job does get to a point, you can't blame him, where he's kind of like, God, what's going on? Like, I did the math equation. Like, I was, I was righteous. I did all the right things. I said all the right things. I honored you, right? And in return, you were supposed to bless me. And, and now that I don't have anything, like, what's going on? The math equation isn't turning out. And I love what the writer of Job says, God responds. Now, I wish in the Old Testament when God responds, we, we had a video camera on him because so much of communication is nonverbal. 
And I think in the Old Testament, it's easy for us to assume that God is angry. Uh, but when Jesus comes along, who's God in the flesh, we, we see a very different picture of, of our Heavenly Father. And if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, I, I think it's important that we understand that, the, that our Old Testament God is still a loving, caring Father. And so when Jesus responds to Job, I have to believe, I don't know this, but I have to believe there's some empathy, there's some compassion, but there's also a little bit of a twinkle in his eye. Job 38, God responds to Job. He says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Now God continues, if you have a chance, read Job 38. But essentially, here's what God says to Job. You know, I get your questions, but man, I cannot remember you being there when I figured out the physics necessary for our planet. Like, you think you know everything, so I'm just curious. Like, were you there when I created the universe? I didn't think so. Job, you have to trust me. Your mind is not going to figure this one out. It's not a math equation. You're going to have to trust me. So for some of us, there's an opportunity this week as we approach God to understand that while he is our Heavenly Father, there's connection. He's also the God that created the universe and exists in every inch of it. He's also the God who is holy and and revered. And there's a part of him that we are never going to be able to figure out or box in or understand. And so as we approach him, there's this idea that he's not our genie. He's not our butler. He's not some math equation. He is the mysterious God of the universe who has revealed himself in Jesus. And yet there's a a bit of him that will always be a mystery to our minds. Because if our minds can comprehend God, he ceases to be God. Jesus continues on. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus begins to move from our understanding of who God is to our understanding of how we are called to live in this world. And the first thing Jesus does right off the bat is he acknowledges that we have an opportunity to be a part of what God does on our little planet. When Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, there's an invitation there that God wants the kingdom of heaven, the goodness of God to be a part of our little planet. And it's pretty clear what God's plan is for that to happen. His plan is you and me. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, on this because our next series here at Northbrook is all about the kingdom of God. And what it looks like on our planet. And so super excited about that. That starts next week. But for our purposes, don't miss that Jesus begins this, this portion of the prayer. Shifting from who God is to our role on this planet. And the first thing he says is, based, essentially, what you do matters. That tomorrow you wake up and it's not just about a meaningless existence until you die and go to heaven. No, tomorrow you wake up and there's purpose. And there's hope and there's goodness and there's the reality that God is at work in the world and he is inviting you into that work. Jesus continues, he says, give us today our daily bread. So what is Jesus attempting to say here? 
First of all, he's not talking about bread. If he was talking about bread, I, if I was one of the disciples, I would have raised my hand and been like, uh, can we add a few things to that list? Give us today our daily coffee, uh, fruit snacks, John's gluten-free, can we get some of that? Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. What is he talking about? Bread was a symbol in Jesus' day for needs, our needs being met. So when Jesus says, give us today our, our daily bread, essentially what he's saying is meet our needs. Which is a great thing to pray, right? To pray that God would meet our needs, trust that he's going to meet our needs. It all sounds great until we, we really investigate what Jesus is saying here. And what Jesus is saying here is give us today our daily bread. If we're honest, most of us in this room would prefer that this prayer goes like this. Give us today an assurance that the rest of our life we will have bread. Give us today at least a verbal confirmation that bread will be available until we die. That's not what Jesus prays. Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. In other words, we trust you to provide what we need for today. And in an essence, what he's not saying is, we also trust you're going to provide for us in the future, so we're not going to worry about the future. We're going to focus on today. Now, that is difficult. I would say that is difficult for most Americans. Now, I, obviously, I'm not familiar with all other cultures, but I do know some cultures are much better than us at being present in the moment. But I do know that for us as Americans in 2022, and I put myself in this category, we are future-oriented thinkers. It's all about the future. Today's fine, but what about tomorrow? What about next week? And for many of us, that, a lot of our anxiety, a lot of our fear, a lot of our, our, our lack of joy is wrapped up in the future. Well, today's okay, but what about when the kids graduate and I become empty nester? Well, today's okay, but what about the future with my job? I don't know. There's a lot of uncertainty. Well, today I'm okay, but what if I never find a spouse? What if I never find someone and I'm lonely forever? Like, today's okay, but what about, what about down the road? And the beauty in this prayer is Jesus says... There's an opportunity to stay focused on today. In fact, later on in the same chapter, after he's done praying, he'll actually say, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. There's an invitation from God not to worry about tomorrow, but to focus on today, to trust that God's going to meet your needs today and to live in the present moment Now, some of you are struggling with this because you're like, hold up, whoa, whoa, time out. What about having wisdom about planning ahead, right? There is a biblical theme throughout scripture that we as human beings have been given a, a brains for a reason and we are to, to use our brains to plan ahead. Some of you have successful businesses. Some of you have been blessed by God because of your ability to plan ahead, to think ahead. And so there's a tension there, right? Jesus says, focus on today, but there's this, there's this also this scream in this, this theme in scripture that we are to think ahead, to use wisdom. So here's where I, I land on this. Here's, here's what I think Jesus is saying. I'm going to say it a couple different ways, depending on how you think. I think what Jesus is saying here is when it comes to things that you can control, use wisdom and plan ahead. But when it comes to things that are beyond your control, focus on today. If you can't control it, then you don't need to worry about it. The God of the universe is at work in the future. You can be present in today. Or said another way, 
plan for the future, use wisdom for the future until you begin to fear until you begin to feel anxiety and fear. And then the beautiful gift from God is to come back to the present moment. That's the gift of our heavenly Father. When we begin to feel fear and anxiety over the future, there's an invitation to come back to the present moment and to trust that the same God who's going to provide for our needs today is going to take care of the future. Maybe for some of us in the room coming out of COVID, like we, we feel like, you know, as, as, as a human being, as a follower of Jesus, we have to think about the future. We have to plan ahead, but it's causing us so much anxiety and fear. And I think the invitation from God today in this season of life, the gift he's offering you is to stop thinking about the future. Stop thinking about things you can't control. And live in today. Give us today our daily bread. Father, we trust you in today. And that's enough. So what would it look like this week to pray that prayer Every time you start to feel anxiety or fear about the future, every time you start to think about something you can't control, every time the devil tells, tells you a lie that life's going to be horrible down the road, what would it look like to come back to? No, give, give me today my daily bread. And that'll be enough. Jesus moves on. He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So much has been written about Forgiveness, so much has been preached on forgiveness that I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I, I do want to point out one thing when it comes to Jesus' phrase in the prayer about forgiveness. Jesus essentially says three things in this prayer when it comes to how we are to live our lives. Focus on the present, give us a stay our daily bread. And then the thing we're going to cover next, lead us not into temptation, right? Staying away from making bad choices. And then in the middle, sandwiched between those two things, is forgiveness. Apparently, Jesus thought forgiveness was so important that he put it in the Lord's Prayer. The top three things that are in the Lord's Prayer that, that are encouragements on how we are to live our lives. Forgiveness is one of them. Both accepting forgiveness from God and giving forgiveness to others. Some of us are, are, are living our lives and we've asked God for forgiveness and yet we continue to beat ourselves up for things that we've done wrong. Or worse, we think God is continuing to beat us up for things that, are, that we've done wrong. And the beauty of our God is the Holy Spirit convicts us, we repent, and then God forgives us. That's the process. But for many of us, if we're not careful, the process is the Holy Spirit convicts us, we repent, and then we feel guilty, and we continue to beat ourselves up, and we continue to beat ourselves up. And the invitation from God is to accept his forgiveness. And for others of us, we struggle with unforgiveness. We don't want to forgive the people around us. And let me remind you that forgiveness is not about the other person. Forgiveness is about you. Forgiveness is about living with joy and peace in your, in your heart. It's about refusing to allow bitterness and anger and hate to poison the one life that God has given you. Some of us are holding on to our bitterness, our anger, our hate, and it's like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to get sick. Now understand, when we forgive someone, it doesn't mean we excuse what they did. It doesn't mean that we don't set boundaries moving forward. 
It doesn't mean that forgiveness is going to be a process. Forgiveness very well may, if it's a certain level of, of hurt, it may involve a counselor, a therapist, a pastor. Forgiveness is a process. I wish forgiveness was as simple as I forgive them and then moving on. But the reality is forgiveness takes a while. Like what I've discovered when I have to forgive people that have really hurt me is it starts with me saying I forgive them, even though I don't mean it. And then moving from there, like I'll be like, God, I forgive them. I didn't really mean that, but I forgive them. Not still don't mean it. But then over time, one day I wake up and I go, yeah, I forgive them. And I think, I think I kind of mean it. It's a process. And lastly, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is a confusing phrase. Lead us not into temptation, right? Does God, is it like we're trying to, God, please don't like, I know you want to, I know you're like laughing and you're like, I'm going to lead them into temptation and see what happens, but please don't do that. Like, is that, what we, is that what Jesus is saying here? No, I think the better translation in our English would be, Holy Spirit, give us wisdom to stay away from temptation. Holy Spirit, give me enough wisdom to stay away from the things that are going to mess my life up. Help me, deliver me from the evil that will ruin my life. And so for some of us, for some of us, the opportunity in this phrase is to recognize that as we go through life, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, guiding us, giving us the courage to walk away from situations where we're going to make Mistakes that are only going to hurt us or others. And so for some of us, as we go about our week, there are, certain, there are certain areas of our week where we know we're going to be tempted. When I get into the office, I'm going to be tempted to gossip. When I go on my computer, I'm going to be tempted to look at things I know I shouldn't. When I, when I go into school, I'm going to be tempted to cheat on, cheat on a test because everybody else cheats. And there's this beauty in the Lord's Prayer that we can come back to Father, have your Holy Spirit guide me away from the things I'm going to be tempted to do that I know are only going to hurt me and others. As we wrap up this morning, my challenge to all of us is to spend some time this week repeating the Lord's Prayer, but repeat it with with a fresh vision of what God is attempting to speak to you this week. So I want to invite you to stand, and as we close, I, I, want, to, I want to read the Lord's Prayer one more time together, but I, I hope that this time, maybe it was just kind of going through the motions when we did it at communion, and my challenge to you this time is to read it as if you're reading it for the first time, and, and really dive into the depth that is our Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.